Hi, church family. So welcome, welcome to uh, lesson number three, three of seven in our study of the book of Amos. Um, thank you for being here tonight. And I just want to say I, I'm, I'm not going to jump to any conclusions. I don't want to assume that the reason why you guys came back is because this has been great. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to assume anything like that. I want to tell you that I hope that these lessons have been helpful, helpful to you. Um, I know that studying it has been helpful to me. And um, tonight, you know, there, there's going to be, there's going to be some pretty, pretty deep content. We're going to take a look at um, Amos's messages to the surrounding nations. And then his message to Judah, and finally, message to Israel. Now, specifically speaking, when I say his message, this is a nine-chapter book. So I'm not talking about the whole thing. What I'm talking about is when he came, when he arrived on the scene, and he said, here's some judgment that God sent me to warn you about. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at why he said it, why, why he brought these messages. Okay. Um, I mentioned to you guys just now that Amos has nine chapters, and we only have seven weeks to study the book. I said this is three of seven. So that means that we can't go verse by verse. We're not going to be able to do an expositional journey through the book of Amos. I told you guys before that I think that that right there is the best way to study the Bible. I think that's the best way to teach the Bible. Um, but it's not out of place uh, to, to address topics. You know, in fact, uh, when you read the New Testament, you look at the life and ministry of Christ, um, he did not walk around carrying all the scrolls that they had up to that time. You know, he didn't do that. So his entire ministry was topical. Uh, his entire ministry was based on what he saw in the moment. Okay, so uh, it's, it's okay to do it the way we're doing it, and I hope that you guys will uh, forgive me for, um, for, for go going that approach. But we just have to. It's the, the only way for us to do it. It's strict, strictly strategic, okay? Um, tonight, we're looking at the, the subject. Like I said, we're looking at topics. So we're going to look at the subject of injustice and oppression. Injustice and oppression, all right? So if you guys remember, Amos, who is this guy? He was a, a shepherd, a sheep herder down in Tekoa. That's a city in, in Judah. And he left Judah, not because um, he felt like it, uh, we, we know that he, he had a calling down there and that, that he was living within, within that calling. And we know that that's okay for us as believers, everybody in this room, everybody, everybody who's a part of our church that's called into full-time ministry is out full-time ministering. <laughs> they're, they're answering God's call on their life right now in classes over there. And I'm just a lay, lay person in our church. I'm a member of the church, just like everybody here. And so uh, Amos was just a member of, of his local body, you know, and, and God said, no, I have something for you to do. I want you to go to Israel. And so that's what he did. He, he left Judah. He went to Israel and uh, he addressed, when he got there, he addressed the surrounding nations first, and then he addressed Judah, and then he addressed Israel about their sin, okay? Um, why would he address these pagan nations while he's in Israel. Let's go ahead and take a look at the context. I've shown you guys a map before, and I didn't bring slides for you tonight. 
So if you were here, then I hope that you remember. And if you weren't here, then maybe you can recall back to when you learned in, I think it was junior high school, about the cradle of civilization, the the fertile crescent that, that was the region known as Mesopotamia. And if you guys remember the travel that took place between there and uh, the relationships that the people, the civilizations had at that time. By, by the time that Amos lived, it was no different. There, there, was, there was a lot of commerce. Um, if you guys recall in your own person, Bible reading and uh, when, when the people of Judah were finally released, when, when Babylon allowed the people to leave captivity and to go back home and rebuild the temple. One of the problems that they had at the time was, what in the world's going on? Why are all these merchants out here camped outside the walls of the city wanting to trade with the people of the city? You guys are Gentiles, and don't you recognize that we have laws that we're supposed to follow? It's the Sabbath. What are you doing here? Get out of here. You know, um, so... It was just a normal part of their lives to have commerce with the surrounding nations, okay? Um, Jesus himself walked through Samaria. You know, um, there were were people who did it. There were people who didn't. Um, So anyhow, that that was a normal thing. And so for for Amos to get into Israel and, and start preaching to the surrounding nations, there were people there from every nation around. They were present. They were, they were conducting business. And one of the sad things about that is Amos came into one of the temples. Uh, I, I, I refer to the temples um, of the northern kingdom. I, I refer to them as the temples of the golden calf because they were no temples of God. Um, they definitely weren't. And so here he is in the temple of the golden calf um, in the people of Israel where it should be just a bunch of Jews. Right, but no, there were there were merchants from surrounding kingdoms. There were citizens of surrounding kingdoms. Uh, we have people in our church who've been fortunate enough to be able to go to uh, Europe on vacation. You, if if you guys were to go to Rome on vacation, it's quite possible that you might decide to visit Vatican City. You know that doesn't make you a Catholic. You know it just makes you a tourist, right? And so there were people who were tourists. There were people who were merchants. There were people who were tourists in a place that should have been set apart strictly for followers of God. But the northern kingdom didn't take that stuff seriously at all. So that's what was going on in that environment, and that's why Amos came out there. Um, so injustice and oppression are some common themes that we're going to find in the book of Amos. And it's stuff, as, as you read through the whole Bible, you, you see that it's... It's a recurring pattern all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture, it it was taking place. You know, people practicing injustice. You know, um, another word that's synonymous with with that would be unrighteousness. Okay. But more than just unrighteousness, I mean, when when we talk about injustice, we talk about when it's in your power to do good to somebody and you withhold that. You don't do good. Not only that, but not only is it in your power, but it's also your responsibility, your responsibility. So we're talking about somebody like a king, a priest, a religious leader, 
somebody who has the responsibility, when somebody comes to them and they say, hey, I need your help. But because they're, 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 they have favorites, because they take bribes, they don't help you. Instead of helping you, they make you believe that you deserve to be in the situation that you're in. And they refuse to deliver you from the person who is oppressing you. Okay, so that, that was just, it was rampant in the time of Amos. And uh, so we're going to see Amos talk about that as, as he goes on. And so whenever you see the Bible talking about morality and justice and ethics, you're going to find that these, these are things that are just dealt with all the time throughout Scripture. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for what you teach us. And uh, again, time and again, when I come to your word, I, I beg you to help me to learn from the mistakes of other people instead of making my own mistakes. Help me to obey you. Help me to live for you. Help me to take a relationship with you seriously. And we're going to see tonight people who didn't help, help us to take that to heart. Also help us to, uh, to learn from these Gentile nations who you pronounce judgment against. Uh, you are the sovereign God who created everything, and you have the right to judge everybody. And help us to, um, to just recognize that, that, that you are God, and you have the right to judge us. In, in everything that we do, every moment of our day, help us to remember that. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, now, I told you that we're studying Amos. You guys have probably already prepared. Turned your Bibles to Amos, and I ask that you'll bear with me and just uh, flip back to Psalms. Psalms. We're going to take a look at Psalm 82 to open our study. And the reason why we're going to look at Psalm 82 is because... Our Lord made a reference to Psalm 82 while he was on this earth. When we're reading Psalm 82, one of the things you're going to notice is that the psalmist called the rulers and the judges, he called them gods. And you're going to see that it's a little g, lowercase g, he called them gods. So they're people in authority. And uh, as we read it, we all know, and if you didn't know, I'm going to tell you, Psalms falls into the genre of poetry. Psalms is poetry. Psalms isn't history, okay? Although there is history within the Psalms, the genre of this book is poetry. And so we're going to see uh, the, the psalmist set a stage for us. He's going to paint a picture. And uh, that, that's what I want to look at. Uh, we'll, we'll take a look at it. But uh, as you read it, you might wonder, okay, who's this addressed to? So I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, spoil that for you right now. Well, I guess it's not a spoiler, right? We're not, we're not talking about movies. We're talking about the Bible. So I'm going to help you right now by telling you that this is addressed to God. It's addressed to God. And the final verse makes it clear that this is addressed to God. As the psalmist paints this picture of, of this scene, it's addressed to God. So Psalm 82. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judges them amongst he judgeth among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk, they walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But 
ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. So um, as, as we take a look at that psalm, we see um, men, humans, being referred to as gods. And so that right there, that is the part that Jesus referred to in the New Testament. Okay, so it depicts this congregation, right? This congregation and God, the Almighty, he's the judge of everybody who's present. This congregation is, is, is um, full of people who are mighty. These are, these are all people who are rulers and judges. These are all people in authority, all right? And these people, these judges in this congregation who, who um, the psalmist uh, paints a picture of, and I keep saying the psalmist. And so uh, my Bible says that it's a psalm of Asaph. Some, you, your Bible might say that it's a psalm of David. Um, so I'll just, I'll just go ahead and say, I don't know who wrote it. I'll just call him the psalmist. Um, anyhow, he, he paints this picture of this congregation, this gathering of people, but it's God who is ultimately in control. God is ultimately the one who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong, who should be helped and who shouldn't be helped, who should be delivered and who should be judged. Okay, God is the one who has the right to make those decisions. And the people who God gives authority to are supposed to rule. They're supposed to exercise their authority with the judgment that God would have them to use. They're supposed to apply biblical standards, biblical principles, as you rule, as you make decisions, as, as you lead your family or you lead your workplace, you are supposed to be a Christian as you decide what ethics you're going to use, okay? And so that's the picture that we see here. But that's not what Jesus said. In context, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus referred to this because, hey, human beings are being called gods, Right? Human beings are being called gods. Um, now, before, before we get to that, uh, I, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. Um, but I just want to say, Amos lived in a time of steep moral decline. And uh, we can look around our society and say, well, so do we. <laughs> um, but he was called by God to be a fierce advocate for judge, justice and judgment and righteousness. Okay, he condemned the injustices that he saw, and he was given a message by God to say, no more, no more. This, this can't continue. I am going to bring ju judgment against all of you, punishment against all of you. So Amos came as a judge to say, you're wrong, but he also delivered the message from the judge to say, I'm the executioner. <laughs> the Almighty is the executioner. So uh, Amos is the one pronouncing judgment, but God's the one who's going to carry out the sentence, okay? And uh, as he came and he delivered these messages, he condemned the injustices that were taking place. It's the leaders. It was the people who had authority, and they're the ones who exercised injustice. They're the ones who perpetuated it. But their people, when God brought punishment, it was, it was those leaders and their people who suffered punishment, Okay? The nation suffered for the sins of their leaders. Fortunately, in America, we have the right to, to vote, right? And I, I hope that you guys are using that right. I hope that you would be able to stand before God and say, I've done my part. <laughs> you know, there are unrighteous leaders in my country, 
but I've done my part. I voted, I wrote to them, I did what I could, I did what I could. I didn't just sit silent. There are too many people who sit silent. And, uh, you know, we see that nations will be judged for the sins of their leaders. Amos's message very closely mirrors this judgment uh, that we see in, in 82, in Psalm 82, and, and, and the environment that uh, the psalmist is, is lamenting about. And uh, his plea with God that God would just arise and judge them. You know, Lord, enough is enough. Please do something about this. Okay, and uh, take note that Psalm 82 was written around 250 years. 250 years after this, excuse me, that psalm was written 250 years before the psalmist, before Amos came to Israel. Okay, so it was 250 years old, right? Now, uh, let's think about a document that's around 200 years old, uh, right? Our Constitution. Now, most of us in here are, are familiar with the Constitution, familiar enough with the Constitution, although we don't have it committed to memory, familiar enough with the Constitution that you would know when your rights are being trampled, right? As a citizen of the United States, it's your responsibility to know what the Constitution says, even though it's an old document, right? As followers of God, it was their responsibility to know the Word of God. It was their responsibility, and it was their responsibility to know the contents of Psalm 82, And when it comes to to the people that Amos is bringing judgment against, it was their responsibility as leaders of the nation to know the contents of the scriptures they had up until that time. Sure, they didn't have the whole canon of scripture the way we do, but they had a lot of it. They had a lot of it. There were scribes whose whole job was to just make word-for-word copies of it and make sure that they're available to everybody, you know? Today, we have, we have publishers that are, they, 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 make a, they make a living by selling Bibles. You know, some of you guys might have a Bible that you bought at Dollar Tree. It contains the exact same scriptures as somebody else who bought a Bible from Zondervan Publishers. Your Bible is leather-bound and, you know, it's like awesome and contains all kinds of commentaries and notes and you know, your, your Bible might just be, like, amazing, and you paid over 100 bucks for it, you know? I mean, th- there are some publishers that are, are making a pretty good living at selling the Word of God. And the scribes back then, that was their job, to make sure that it's available to everybody. So I don't condemn these publishers for making a living by that, no more than I condemn somebody whose whole living is making sure that a congregation of people know what the Word of God says and are, are encouraged to live for God to desire God, to pursue God, and to live for him, to glorify him in their lives. You know, we need a shepherd, right? Jesus told Peter to feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Well, who's supposed to do that job? So, hey, I don't look down on, on that uh, profession. It's a, it's a needful and noble profession. Um, I'm just saying that whether it's somebody who did it for free, like a scribe, or somebody who did it for a living, and, uh, you know, they... they they, they made a killing from it, <laughs> whatever. Uh, there are people who made sure that the word of God was available to everybody. And these people who are sitting there and, and, and settling disputes, when people come to them, they're supposed to refer to the manual, okay? They're supposed to refer to the manual. 
So anyway, I told you Jesus referred to Psalm 82. So let's go ahead and take a look at that real quick. Uh, we find that in John chapter 10, verse 34. Through 36. Um, we'll read it real quick because the whole context is, is kind of lengthy. So Jesus answered them, the, the Jews. Uh, he answered them and, and said, Is it not written in your law? I said, You're a God's. It's taken from Psalm 82. If he, God, called them God's, unto whom the word of God came. So these are people who are religious leaders, they're rulers, they're people with the responsibility of applying the word of God righteously. The word of God came to them, and these people are called gods, right? If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified, him, Jesus is talking, and the hymn that he's referring to is the Messiah himself, the one who is sanctified by God and sent by God with the word of God into the world, right? You say of Jesus, you say of me, thou blasphemest. You say that to me? You accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm the son of God? So that, that, that's what Jesus said to them. That's, that's how he answered them. And so he's just citing Psalm 82. And he's saying, hey, look, even in Psalm 82, human beings are called gods. And so even following your scriptures, you guys are religious leaders, right? You guys think that you have the authority to dis- determine who's in sin and who's not in sin, who should be judged and who shouldn't be judged. You guys think that you know how to apply the scriptures? Well, then, apply them, apply them accurately, you know? They, they, to, to set the scene, these people came to Jesus and they demanded that he would just give them a plain answer. Are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus said, I told you. I told you. But you don't understand me. You don't believe me. You refuse to accept my words. And the reason why you don't accept my words, the reason you don't understand my words, the, the reason you don't receive it is because you're not mine. You aren't my sheep. My sheep know my voice. My sheep believe me. My sheep, because they know my voice, because they hear me, because I feed my sheep, I give to my sheep eternal life. So, I mean, this is pretty plain language, right? Who has the authority, who has the power to give eternal life but God himself? I give my sheep eternal life, but you're not my sheep. Nobody can pluck my sheep from my hand. My sheep are given to me by my father. Nobody can pluck my sheep from his hands. The sheep that I have in my hand are also in his hands. He and I are equal. Then in verse 30, that right there is kind of, okay, that's still kind of figure of speech. Are you really saying what I think you're saying? And then you get to verse 30, and he makes it crystal clear what he's claiming. I and my father are one. And at that, the Jews wanted to execute Jesus, right? They want to execute him. They want to execute him by stoning, right? He's like, hey, you know, what's your problem? 
And uh, they said, hey, look, our motive isn't because of your miracles. My, my motive, your, our motive isn't because of any of the works that you're, you've done. Our motive is because you are a man and you've made yourself God, right? So anyway, he defended, or, or he, he defended his choice of words by citing Psalm 82. But using Psalm 82 had a twofold purpose. So the religious leaders that are being condemned in Psalm 82 are the religious leaders that he's addressing in his own time. The people who were failing to properly apply the word of God back then when Psalm 82 was written, that same sin is being carried out during the life of Christ. Now, like I told you, Psalm 82 was written 250 years before Amos, who was a problem back then when the psalm was written. It was a problem during the life of Christ. What are we going to see as we read the book of Amos? It's still a problem during that, during that period of time that's bookended, all right, by these two events. Okay, so the word of God came to, came to them, and uh, they, they also were failing to exercise it. And, uh, you know, he, that, was, that, was, that was a harsh rebuke against the leaders of that time. And one of the things that I can say about the Jews of uh, the time of Christ, I, I personally don't know anybody who is a practicing Jew, so I can't say the same thing. But what we read in the Bible is that they took Scripture seriously. I mean, they studied it. They committed it to memory. You know, I mean, they, they thought of Scripture when they see things. You know, like, here, here's Jesus you know, with a whip in the temple, and he's driving people out. And you have these fishermen who are like, oh, that reminds me of the psalm. And the zeal of the Lord has, has eaten, eaten me up. I mean, you know what? I never thought about that psalm when I read that in the New Testament. <laughs> but they're like, hey, that's a direct parallel to the psalms. You know, I mean, they knew their scriptures. They just failed to apply it. They failed to do with the scriptures what the scriptures were meant to do. And that is draw close to God and have a genuine relationship with him. Genuine worship of him. Right? So anyway, Jesus refer, reaffirmed the validity of Psalm 82 when he, when he quoted that. All right? And so uh, we know that the themes of injustice and oppression are always worthy of a careful study and, um, and reflection. Okay? Because I think that we can all say that we're probably also susceptible of uh, making bad choices when we're in charge of something. Okay. So anyway, what were the messages to the pagan nations? Now we can go ahead and turn our Bibles to Amos chapter 1. Uh, there's going to be a phrase that Amos uses. It's, it's a figure of speech. And so... Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. You know, that's starting for verse three. And that same term, you know, for three transgressions and for four is repeated in all of his messages of judgment against every one of the nations that he addresses. So this is just a poetic, poetic way of saying, you know, for three transgressions and for four. For sin after sin after sin. And finally, another sin that's even worse than this pattern of sin that you guys have already... <laughs> demonstrated. You guys are just a bunch of rotten sinners. And because of that, here's a judgment against you. Okay. So it's just a poetic way of saying that. And you got to admit that sounds much more flowery than what I just said. Right. So anyhow, he begins with the, the message against Damascus. So verses three 
through 5, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they've threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Aven, Aven, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden. And the people of Syria shall go into captivity into Ker, saith the Lord. Um, you could actually find some context about that as far as what was going on and how history played out if you take a look at First and Second Kings in 1 Kings 19.15 and 2 Kings chapter 8, you can find some of that context. But um, what did Damascus do? The, the Bible says that they, um, they threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's go ahead and think about threshing. Threshing. So if, if you consider threshing, what am I doing? Well, I have a harvest, Right but I don't want to simply harvest it. So if I go out and harvest tomatoes, all I do is just pluck them off the vine, I take them inside and I use them. But there are some crops that need to be threshed. If you go and you harvest a bunch of wheat, you know, you come and you bring it, well, what am I going to do with this? I have this stalk of straw, and at the end of this stalk of straw, there are these grain. You know? So I have, I have all of this that I just harvested. Now I bring it and I lay it all out, and I thresh it. So uh, th this is a job that requires somebody to grind this stuff, grind it up. You know, I, I, I come and, and I, I, uh, maybe I can take a piece of wood and I can uh, drag it on there. You take a look at, at uh, history and what, what archaeology has shown us about what threshing instruments look like. They, um, it varies, you know, and uh, around the time that Amos lived, you know, they, they moved beyond simply just taking a pitchfork. You know, um, there was, there was uh, one of the judges, <laughs> one, of the, one of the judges, you know, you think about Gideon. And, uh, you know, the, the angel of the Lord called him a, a, a man of valor. <laughs> hey, this man of valor was hiding while he was threshing, okay? One of the things that you need while you're threshing is you, you need a gust of wind. You, you need wind to help you. So when he was threshing, here you are, you're threshing, and uh, you're, you're, you're tossing it up. The seed is heavy, so it falls, but the chaff that I just described, it gets driven away by the wind. You know, the wind drives the chaff, chaff away. That might make you think of Psalm verse, chapter 1. Um, and so um, you, you have that going on. By the time Amos lived, you know, they, they kind of developed it a little more. You have, uh, you have an animal that's um, he's yoked up, and there's somebody who's behind it. He's standing on a threshing instrument. And this threshing instrument is like a board and it has a bunch of um, knobs underneath it. And so you stand on it. The weight, your weight, the animal drags you around, you know, so he's just walking in a circle. Everything is contained within this circle with a, with a wall that goes around. And you just stand on it and, and you're pulled behind it. And so this is just ground in, right? This harvest is ground in, ground into the dirt, right? So now I've separated the wheat from the chaff. Now I need to thresh it and, and allow the wind to drive the chaff away. You know, but it's easier to separate that way. Why did I tell you all of that? What did they do? What did Damascus do? And who did they do it to? You guys remember who Gilead is? Gilead is that region when the Jews came to the promised land 
they're there on, on, I'll go ahead and say this side of Jordan. That's the promised land. You, you guys are all in the promised land. Okay. And, and uh, you know, here they are, and they're taking a look at the Jordan River and going, man, we have to cross this thing. And, uh, you know, there were some of the Jews who said, um, I think we'd like to stay over here. I think we'd like to stay right here. And uh, they were told, um, all right. That's, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, you can stay here. I mean, the inheritance over there is better, but if you want to stay here, then more for everybody else. But you still need to go in and help us drive out the inhabitants of the land. Then you can come back and build your homes over here. That region that they settled is Gilead. All right. And because they weren't in the promised land, they weren't separate. Over here, over here on this side where they stayed in Gilead, in addition to the three tribes that stayed, you also had Gentiles. You had Gentiles who also occupied the land there. They didn't try to drive them out. They settled among them. Okay. And so we have Damascus who wages war against Gilead and doesn't simply harvest. They don't simply conquer and tax. They threshed them. They threshed them. So this is severe oppression. This is overdoing it with your military force, extreme oppression, extreme violence against these people. Amos says, because you did that, you're going to be punished, right? You're going to be punished. So God says that he's not going to turn away from punishing Damascus for its transgressions. And the punishment is expressed symbolically. I'm going to send fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad, both leaders of um, that kingdom at that time of, of Damascus and Aram. So they're both leaders of, of the place at that time. And so when God says, I'm going to send a fire into the house and it's going to devour the palaces, he's not saying that simply these two are going to be the subjects of the penalty. It's a nationwide penalty. In the same way that God says, I love Jacob. Well, okay, is he just talking about Jacob, the brother of Esau? No, he's talking about the people of Israel. He's talking about the Jews. Okay, and in this case, he's talking about everybody in Damascus, okay, all of them, okay? Now, the rulers are mentioned, but it is a punishment that's going to come upon their whole nation. Verse 5 elaborates that God's going to break the bar of Damascus. I'm going to break the bar of Damascus. He's talking about cutting out their fortifications. They no longer have any protection. And, you know, back then, they really depended on their walls. These nations depended on their walls. They thought, our walls, you can't touch us. Think of Jericho. Uh, our walls protect us from, from attackers. And uh, God took out their fortifications. You can't depend on your own strength when it comes to God. If God wants to deal with you, there's nothing you can do to avoid it except for get right with God. Okay? So anyway, um, what's the outcome? The consequence of their sin and the punishment that God brought on them the outcome of that is that the people of Damascus went into captivity. Uh, they went into captivity and incur. Now, theologians, archaeologists, they speculate Kerr is the place of exile where the people of Damascus went after they were conquered. Um, now, in the beginning of Amos, the Bible tells us who was the king at the time. Okay? Um, Uzziah was the king of Judah. After Uzziah, uh, after his reign ended, 
we had a new king come on the throne. That was Ahaz. And one of the things that Ahaz did as he tried to protect his people from the uh, Assyrian army was to go to Damascus and ask them for help. And so, wow, you know, I, I, I now have the, Damascus, the people of Damascus over here helping the people of Judah. What do I do? Well, when you're a mighty king, you don't have to pick one battle. You can go ahead and fight them both. And he did. And he conquered them both. <laughs> you know, now the Jews, fortunately, they suffered some military losses, but they still got to retain their autonomy as a kingdom. You know, so, uh, but, but Damascus, man, they, they really paid the price for helping out Judah. They really paid the price. And so God's pronouncement of judgment came to pass, just like God said it would. Now we move on. Amos chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Eden, Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof, and I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will turn mine hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. Okay, so... Uh, the specific transgression that God identifies here, the one that, that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, was the slave trade. They got involved in slave trade. You know, it says they carried the whole captivity cap captive. Now, when it comes to war, there are going to be times when you conquer an army, and those people who fought against you, you're my slave now, right? But... You know what's an extreme violation of human rights? I served in the military, and one of the things that would have been awful is two things that would have been awful. One is for me to lose while I was over there. Uh, two is for the people that I lose against to come to the United States and grab my wife and my kids and say, your husband fought a war against us. He, he survived. He's our slave now. And so are you. How's that right? They didn't fight. They're innocent in the whole thing. But that's what they did. That's what they did. You go and you wage war against the territory, and it's not fought in some battlefield between two regions. I mean, the Philistines invaded Israel. They invaded Judah. And as they're attacking, after they win, they're taking captives, you know? They're taking captives. You know, think about uh, Naaman. Naaman, I mean, everybody's familiar with the story of Naaman and the, his leprosy. Do you remember who it was that told him, hey, you should go to, go to see the prophet. You know, my people have a prophet. You should go. And it was a Hebrew girl. Well, man, there were, there were slaves everywhere. Why was this Hebrew girl a slave? Well, does that mean that she was, she was in the army? She wasn't in the army. She was a victim of the crime that Gaza is being uh, judged for right now, okay? She was a victim. Um, I want to point something out. The Bible um, says here that, you know, slavery is wrong and you're being judged for it. There are people who try to say, well, you know, the Bible makes provisions for the humane treatment of slaves. And therefore, if the Bible says that you're supposed to treat slaves humanely, then the obvious conclusion is that the Bible endorses slavery. No, no, 100% wrong, okay? 
but it was a fact of life back then that there were slaves. There were slaves who were taken. I mentioned one type of slave is somebody who lost in battle. They would be taken as a slave. Another type of slave is somebody who sold themselves into slavery because, man, I just can't pay my debt. You could throw me into debtor's prison or I can serve you. I can serve out my sentence as a slave in your household. I'll, I'll be your servant, you know? And there was provision for how long I can be, be kept as a slave, how you're supposed to treat me, and that you're, gonna, you're supposed to set me free after a certain period of time, right? So, yeah, sure, there's rules for how they're supposed to be treated. That doesn't mean that the Bible says slavery is okay. But when you see the Bible applied, just like the slave trade of America was put to a stop, it was biblical principles behind that halting of slavery. You know, that it's not right that somebody who's made in the image of God should be captured and, and, barred and traded as if they're simple merchandise. It's not right. Okay? Uh, so anyhow... That was, that was what happened, and uh, just like we saw with Damascus, God's destructive power went against their own fortifications, their ability to defend themselves. You know, they, they can't lean on their own might, you know. They used to think, wow, look at these guns. Welcome to the gun show. And God says, no, you are puny, you're tiny, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and take away whatever might you think you have. And, uh, and they, were, they were taken away. They were taken away. And you saw in, uh, in verse 8 that it's not just Gaza. It's all of the Philistines. The entire kingdom of the Philistines was judged for this. And even the citizens, even the citizens and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. So anyway, we move on. Amos chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. We move on to the next group of people. Tyre, Tyrus, Tyree, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyrus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom. Sounds familiar, right? So that means we don't need to spend as much time on this one. The whole captivity to Edom, and remembered not the brotherly covenant. But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyrus, once again, a familiar theme, which shall devour the palaces thereof. Thus, okay, so... Uh, Touching that real quick, one of the things that we see there is also just like, just like Gaza, just like the Philistines, um, Tyre participated in slave trade. Now, Tyre, you know, who are they? They were a city-state in the region of Phoenicia. Okay, so um, you might think, well, does that mean that all of Phoenicia was judged for what they did, just like what happened with that pronouncement of judgment on Gaza and all of the Philistines? No, uh, no, that's, that's not the way it played out in history. Um, the Phoenician people, the, the Phoenician region, uh, was built up of a bunch of independent city-states, okay? And so Tyrus was one of them. Tyrus stands alone. They stand apart from the rest of Phoenicia when it comes to the decisions that they made and how they governed themselves. So they were judged and uh, they were punished for what they did. But uh, in addition to the slave trade, one of the things that's mentioned is that they remembered not the brotherly covenant. Remember when we talked about the uh, political climate at the time. Okay, so Jeroboam had expanded the borders and he had reclaimed territory. In the process of doing this, that means that there are people who held territory and they lost in those military skirmishes. Jeroboam... It's presum presumably Jeroboam that 
went into treaties with these people and said, hey, you know, we got our land back. Enough is enough. Un unless, unless you want more, I'm happy to bring more, but we can go ahead and put a stop now. This is all I wanted was what, 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 what belongs to us. So are we willing to stop here? Okay, fine, we'll stop here. But the people of Tyrus didn't stop there. They didn't remember the brotherly covenant that they went into, that they entered into with the Jews, and therefore God judged them for it. Remember, your word matters. Your promises matter. And if you say you're going to do something, you make sure that you do it. Uh, you know, the Bible's very clear about that. You're going to see that repeated multiple times in uh, Proverbs, and you're going to see that repeated in the New Testament as well. So uh, we can go ahead and move on. The next kingdom that's addressed is Edom. Edom. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon, upon Teman, which shall devour the palaces of Basra. He did pursue his brother with the sword. What in the world are we talking about there? Well, you have to remember who the people of Edom are. Edom is Esau. The Edomites are the descendants of Esau. So they are the kinsmen of the Jews. Edom was always a thorn in their flesh, always a problem. In fact, the reason why the, the name Jacob, when you guys hear a sermon about Jacob, you know that, oh, you know, Jacob, his name means uh, deceiver. No, it doesn't. The name Jacob, exactly like Gen Genesis tells us, the name Jacob means uh, heel catcher, all right? Heel catcher. But it became an idiom. It became a figure of speech, of deceiver, because of the Edomites. The Edomites are like, oh, you pulled a Jacob. You know, you took something that doesn't belong to you in the same way that Esau's birthright was taken for him. The whole reason why you are so blessed is because of Jacob what Jacob did, right? The Edomites, man, they, they had such a grudge against their brothers, their brothers, you know? He pursued his brother with a sword, cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually. How awful. So Jacob and Esau, they resolved their problems. If you guys remember their story in the book of Genesis, they resolved their problems during their lifetime, but their descendants, man, they just couldn't let it go. They couldn't keep the peace. So this conflict wasn't political. It's not something that happened in battle that caused the Edomites to be judged. It's because of a problem in their heart. This, this constant stream of injustice coming from the Edomites to the Jews, right? Um, they, they just, they couldn't let it go. They, they, they always did it. Edom, um, Edom even brought other nations into it. Edom brought other nations into it. The Edomites would join in with enemy nations. When Judah was being, Judah was being attacked or when Israel was being attacked, the Edomites would be like, oh, we've got an opportunity there. And they would go and they would help out. <laughs> they, they would help out. Another thing that they did is when the Jews tried to flee from their enemies, the Edomites are like, uh-uh, you don't have any passageway through here. Turn back, you know. And, you know, that, that type of practice is taking place in, in, in the world today, too. People aren't allowed to cross borders because uh, this is our land. But the Edomites did it all because of their hatred towards the Jews. 
and this, uh, this bitter rivalry that they had. Um, verses 13 through 15, we look at the judgment against Ammon. Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they've ripped up the women with child of Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. But I will kindle, kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour the palaces thereof with shouting in the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, saith the Lord. This is a hard one for me to elaborate on because of the things that I've seen uh, in, in, in my time uh, overseas. But the Bible says it, and we're going to talk about it. Their sin says because they've ripped up the women with child. So we're talking about population control. All right. They went into Gilead. Uh, this is a bordering nation. The people of Ammon, they, they were right there in the same region. And uh, they go into Gilead, and they find pregnant women, and they kill them, and they rip the pregnant babies from their wombs. Okay? And the whole reason why they did it was because they wanted to enlarge their borders. You see, if I can keep your population weak, then I can claim your land. Again, this is an extreme violation of human rights. Okay, extreme violation of human rights. Uh, something that I think is worth um, remembering is uh, who the Ammonites are, why they exist at all. And if you're not familiar with it, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to elaborate on that because it's gross. It's a gross sin um, that, that caused them to come into existence. But go ahead and research that if, if you're not familiar um, they, they shouldn't even be a problem for the Jews, but they were, they were. And so sin has consequences. And sometimes those consequences don't only affect you, but it affects generations later, generations later. Okay. I mean, think about how long it was after Lot lived that these Ammonites are receiving this message of judgment. Um, moving on, uh, chapter two. Chapter 2, we see, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. But I will send a fire unto Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kirioth, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet, and it will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay all the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. Uh, once again, the Moabites, the Moabites are another group of people that shouldn't even be a problem. They shouldn't even be a problem, but they are because of the sins of somebody long ago. All right. And uh, these guys, their sin, again, a gross violation against nature. The Bible says because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. Um, I, I talked with my wife about this and whether or not I should go into detail uh, about it. Well, I don't think that I'm being too graphic or not being any more graphic than what the Bible says. The Bible says that the bones of the king of Edom were burned into lime. Okay? I take a human being and I burn them, burn this human being until nothing is left of him but his ash. Right? And we're not just talking about ash that's left behind, though. Into lime. Into lime, 
There are people who've tried to understand this, and I'm just going to go ahead and share with you some of the things that, that, that people have speculated about, okay? Um, we know that the body of the king was desecrated. We know that much. Um, and we know that based on verses like this one, that most Christians would say, no, don't, don't cremate your loved ones when they die. You know, don't do it. Um, I, I personally think that you have liberty in Christ. You know, God is almighty. And I mean, he, he can take somebody who's been decomposed for thousands of years and rapture them up. Uh, he can certainly take somebody who was cremated and rapture them up as well. Okay. But anyway, um, this is, this is a, a, one of the passages. That's something that they did. But more than just burning them to ash, burning them into lime, people who've tried to study that, tried to understand that and teach it, they say, you know, consider, consider a hunter's trophy wall. If you go to the home of a hunter, you're going to see on their wall heads of the animals that they've killed. And this king's ashes were burned. Uh, this king's body was burned not just into ash, but into lime. So it was put to use. They took his ashes and put them to use. A couple of the things that they've speculated about mixed with paint and used to paint pottery or mixed with clay to make the pot itself and then set on a shelf. That's the king of Moab. We beat that guy. Isn't that awful? To come and, and, and just have something like that on your wall and invite people to look at it and celebrate your victory with you? Speculation, you know what I mean? It's speculation. Um, but we do know that it was more than simply burning the body. It was more than simply desecrating the body. And so these scholars who tried to make sense of it, those are the things that they've uh, come up with. Okay, so some of the things that I want to point out. You take a look at these themes of these pagan nations. Why would a prophet of God come to a nation that doesn't follow God and pronounce judgment against them? If you guys remember when we studied the book of Jonah, you know, here's, here's Jonah, and, and he comes and he pronounces judgment against a pagan city. These are a bunch of pagans. You're, who are you to tell us that we're going to be overthrown? Who are you to tell us that we're being judged for something? The Bible doesn't make it crystal clear why the Ninevites put two and two together. Prophet of God represents God. We're being judged. What would God judge us for? Okay, let's go ahead and make it right. Let's repent. Let's ask him to, to forgive us. And hopefully he will. Hopefully he'll forgive us. And uh, in the same way, we take a look at these pagan nations and we have a prophet coming in and bringing judgment against them, mess messages of judgment. And once again, they might wonder, well, who are you to bring judgment against me? We don't follow your God. We don't follow your rules. But what, what are they being judged for? When you read the Old Testament and you read the, the laws that Moses wrote, and you read the, the further elaborations that, that the kings, that the prophets uh, all talked about, everything that we see, you know, these principles that we glean as we read the scriptures of the Old Testament. You read all that. Does the Bible say, thou shalt not thresh your adversaries when you conquer them in war? Well, it doesn't say that. This is something that should be common sense. It should be a law that's written on our hearts. This is something that people should intrinsically know. 
you don't do that. Does the Bible say you shouldn't sell people as slaves? You know, I've looked for it. The Bible does not say specifically you shall not practice slavery. It doesn't. It tells us how to humanely practice slavery, but it doesn't specifically say it. But you know what? If the Bible tells you that here's a guy who, um, I'm referring to the New Testament, Herod. Uh, Here's a guy who uh, received a bunch of praises from people, and he's like, yes, yes, you're right. I am pretty awesome. And then God judged him and killed him instantly. Therefore, it is wrong to take God's glory. Okay, it's wrong to not give God credit for the blessings that he's given to you, right? So, sure, you know, the the Bible, there, there are things that we infer. And one of the things that we infer here in this judgment against Gaza is slavery is wrong. Don't do it. Again, something that just should be written on the laws of our hearts. Everybody should know that you don't treat human beings as merchandise. And again, the same thing was uh, the sin of uh, Tyrus. We go go ahead and move along. You take a look at uh, the sins of Edom. You know, they just couldn't let it go. They pursued their brother with the sword. Pursued their brother with the sword. Cast off all pity. You know, something that we know about family is that we're supposed to help each other. You know what I mean? Um, When I was a kid, one of the cartoons that I liked watching was um, DuckTales. And Scrooge McDuck, one of his adversaries was the Beagle Boys. The Beagle Boys, they learned how to be criminals by their mom. Ma Beagle was the leader of their criminal gang. You know, families are supposed to teach you right from wrong. Families are supposed to help you. Families are supposed to be the people that you can go to when you think you can't go to anybody else. And we see Edom saying, nah, nah, we don't owe you anything. We owe you nothing. And you cannot, not only can you not count on us to help you, how about we just go ahead and make it clear right now. You can count on it that we're going to take you out every chance we get. Again, this, this is just a, a violation of the laws that God's put on the heart of everybody that walks on this earth. We should know better than to do that, right? We should know better than to do that. The children of Ammon, because they ripped up the women with, with child of Gilead? Does the Bible need to tell us that it's wrong? No, no. That right there, again, something that we should understand. Everything that Amos talked to these pagans about is something that is simply a matter of right and wrong that everybody would agree. You don't do that. Everything that he talked to him, to him about had nothing to do with laws that were peculiar to God's chosen people. He didn't judge them for something that, that you know, hey, you know, um, thus saith the Lord, you know, you need to make sure that you keep the Sabbath day holy. He didn't judge them for that. It wasn't for them. He judged them for stuff that's just simple matter of oppression and injustice. You don't do it. Okay. But then Amos finally gets to Judah. He finally gets to Judah. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgression, oops, my mistake, verse 4 of chapter 2. I was, I was already jumping into Israel. I, I noticed that it's already 10 after, and I think pastor said that classes are dismissing at around 20 after. I really don't want to go that long. But uh, anyhow, 
Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they've despised the law of the Lord. When you're a child of God, there are things that are expected of you. You're expected to know the will of God. You're expected to follow the will of God. You're expected to know the rules of God and to obey the rules of God. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We're expected to not grieve the Spirit. We're expected to not quench the Spirit. We're expected to follow the leading of the Spirit. They despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err, after the which their fathers have walked. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem." Uh, Same theme as everybody else. All of those judgments dealt with their ability to defend themselves. God took away their fortifications. He took away their military strength so that way they would be open to the destruction that God said he was going to bring upon them. Now we get to Israel. Thus saith the Lord, for three, three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they sold the righteous for silver. Israel, Israel. These pagan nations around you who are capturing your citizens and you're crying for justice and you're doing the same thing. Not only did you sell the righteous for silver, but you also sold the poor for a pair of shoes. There are people within your population, the Bible says, verse 7, that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. I'm not going to finish verse 7. You guys go ahead and read that on your own time. Um, Verse 8, And if you guys study the context of verse 8, you're going to understand why I'm not going to talk about that as well. Um, One of the things they did, yet destroyed the Amorite. I, I destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars. I did so much for you, Israel. I did so much for you. I came. I destroyed the Amorites. I destroyed his fruit from above. I destroyed his roots from beneath. These people were mighty. They were impenetrable. You had no hope against them, but I wiped them out for you. And there are many times as you read, as you read in in the Bible and you see that God sent derision among the army. These armies, they, they were confused. They were confounded. They went to war against themselves, or they ran away from, an, from a, uh, an enemy that wasn't even there, and they abandoned their tents, and they abandoned their goods, and they just fled for their lives. You know, there are so many times that God brought deliverance to his people, right? So many times, and he's saying here, this is everything that I did for you, and what, are, what is it that you do? I brought up prophets for you so that way they can help you to know who I am, so that way, they, that, that way the, you'll you can be lovingly brought into the discipleship of of, of me, of of what I want for you in your life. I'm going to go ahead and lovingly disciple you through these prophets. But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. The Nazarites were commanded to not touch it. And commanded the prophets, saying, prophesy not. Everything that I sent you that was meant for your good, you rejected it. And so God pronounces judgment against them. And uh, as we read it and as we take a look at the history of the people, as you read through Kings, as you read through Chronicles, 
God was completely just in everything that he brought upon these people, okay? He was completely just when, when he did it. There was nothing outside of the nature of a loving God when he did this, because not only is he a loving God, but he's a holy God. He is also a God of vengeance. Vengeance belongs to him and only to him. And we see here that when he decides that he's going to get vengeance, he doesn't play around. Okay, um, so the, the message of Amos shows that God has universal moral principles. They, they're not just applicable to God's people, the Jews. They're applicable to all of mankind. And so people who say, well, how, how, how can a God of love and, and a God of righteousness judge somebody who's never heard of him? What did we just talk about? There are lots of things that mankind does that are against the nature of God, that have nothing to do with the Jews, nothing to do with God's instructions to the Jews, things that are written upon the rules of our heart. And anybody who here, anybody here who has a sibling, and within your life, you exercised sibling rivalry. Think about the judgment that God laid out against the Edomites. Anytime that you took something that you shouldn't have taken, think about the judgment against people who took human beings who they shouldn't have taken. You know, anytime that you behave yourself in a manner that was sacrilegious, you know, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what is sacrilegious and what you're supposed to consider holy and religious in your life. But I am going to tell you that a time of prayer is one of those things that are supposed to be taken seriously. And uh, whether it's our church or a church that you visit, you're definitely going to find people moving about and, uh, and doing things when the church is supposed to be in an attitude of prayer, when the church is supposed to be going before the Lord with their petitions. You know, how about we take something serious when it comes to God? How about, you know, yeah, sure, we might not call this room a sanctuary. We might call it a, you know, auditorium, a multi-purpose room. You know, in addition to using it for worship, we also use it rearrange the chairs, put some tables, and use it for banquets. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But when the Word of God is being delivered, how about we have some reverence for things that are holy? You know what I'm saying? You know, th there were people who were judged for not having that, that proper attitude towards God's righteousness. So I think that it would be right for us to do that. So we reflect on the message of Amos. We, we need to make sure that we remember that it has modern day application as well. Modern relevance of justice, modern relevance for oppression. You know, and now you might think, oh no, he's going to talk about social justice and all that stuff that's in the news and that's on social media all the time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the same types of justice that we just addressed here in this book. You know, it's relevant today. It's relevant in Bakersfield it's re relevant in our state, in our nation, in our world. It's relevant in our families. It's relevant in our church, right? This is all stuff that we need to be mindful of. We need to take it seriously. How is it that we as individuals and we as a community can make sure that righteousness is something that's properly addressed? You need to make sure that you know what the Word of God says. You can't be flippant with the word of God, okay? You need, to, you need to have a serious, dedicated relationship with God and his word. You need to follow the leading of his Holy Spirit. 
Because if you decide that that's not important, that's boring, you're not going to see. You're not going to see how the, God, how the word of God applies to the situations that you find yourself in or the situations that you see presented in the news. You know, you're going to be one of those people who go, why are people talking about end times? What's going on in the world today that people are talking about end times? Read the Bible. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much. There's so much that we, we see played out in our lives. It's all around us. All we need to do is open our eyes to the word of God, open our ears and our hearts to the, to the leadership of God, and pay attention to what's going on around us and how God can use us in our community. Okay? So I hope that was helpful to you guys. Uh, just want to reiterate, justice is a central concern in the word of God. Oppression is a recurring sin that's condemned in the word of God. And so, um, well, we see here that it was something that was really smashed hard by Amos, wasn't it? Okay, let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed.